that has its own currency, right? Is that sort of worth uh, feeling, feeling of value to your point? That's the chunk that I see missing when people aren't motivated by money. The next thing is I want to know I'm making a difference. I want to know I have an impact. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Joining Brad today on Decision Point will be Stephen Schmidt, CEO and founder of Tidal Consulting. Start from the beginning. So tell me a little bit about how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, so I think, you know, how I got to where I got here today, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, I like a lot of people in sales, Brad, I think for me, it's, it's been a journey, a lot of trials and tribulations, uh, success, successes and errors and how I got here is I, I think after two decades of looking at how sales are, are formulated from the first inception of a cold call to the end result being a signed agreement, I should say a signed agreement, a happy lifelong customer, looking at that journey always led to one thing was the constant problem, most problematic area, pardon me, was always at the top of funnel. I've not known yet a single company that said I've had too much top of funnel, I wish I had less. And um, that's how I got you know really good about 10 years ago. I had a lot of people who trained me to hack my way into the top of funnel. And the only secret I learned was uh, being a little bit smart and a lot of hard work. Uh, And so I think by seeing that work over and over again uh, and seeing the continued need for that, it allowed me to say, hey, if I'm going to focus on anything as a company, it's going to be something I'm passionate about, something I love, something I can make the world better by doing better. And uh, so here we are now 28 strong with uh, employee headcount here at Title. Awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about, for people that are listening, talk a little bit about Tidal and what you guys do. So Tidal, uh, in the most easy, the easiest way to say it is Tidal is a top of funnel service today. So 25% of our book does full cycle. Uh, we have 22 active customers, but we, you know, talent, talent before tech, uh, we pay our people about 30% above market, Brad, because we, we believe that tech, anybody can get tech, right? You just gotta have money to spend on it. Now you gotta have people to make it work. But you have people, once you connect a conversation, Brad, with a C-level or decision maker, I believe that unless you're capable of having that conversation in a very human way and very curious way, it's not going to ever result in a, a meeting. They probably just won't show. So that that's ultimately what we do. And, and we do that 24-7. So, you know, the one thing that you said there is that you pay 30% over market value for the guys. I assume, presume that was allotted towards the individual setting the meetings. Yeah, there's a podcast that I listen to. And as a founder, you'll probably like it if you don't already listen to it. It's called the the Founders Podcast by a guy named Dave. Have you you listened to it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. By a guy named David Senra. So he basically takes a book. Hopefully someday we'll have him on the podcast, but he takes a book of a famous founder uh, or entrepreneur and he breaks the the book down. Kind of it's less about the biography or the storyline. It's more about the principles that get pulled out and I was listening to Trader Joe's story and he talked about in the in the grocery business how they paid above market value for uh, all of their employees and how most people see paying for top talent as a liability, not as an asset. But him, Trader Joe and guys like David Ogilvie uh, all believe that paying for uh, talent's hard to find and you should pay for it when you get it. Yeah, I agree with I agree with that sentiment a lot. I mean, I've done it the other way around and I've. I've seen it not work. And when you, you do it this way, there's no guarantee. I mean, you're st- a lot of people, Brad, the interesting part is they're not motivated by money, but yet they still want to make good money, you know? So 
maybe they're not chasing that inevitable carrot that most salespeople are. And I always say, if you're in the sales business business and you're not motivated by, by money, like that's, that's just weird to me. Like that's yeah, kind of why we wake side. up. In uh, the yeah. Morning, right? I mean, I, I think, well, I think you brought up a really good point there that there's a lot of people that aren't motivated by money, but they still want to make good money. I think that's a good, I think that's a good line. There's a lot of things that can motivate you, right? Yeah. I always say, I said the last person that said that, I said, great, you just got a 20% pay reduction. They looked at me like I was crazy. I said, no, I see you're motivated by not having it. So therefore you're motivated by having it. In sales, you know, that part of that is how you keep score, right? So you're going to find, I think typically you're going to find people that are score motivated. And uh, the way that you keep score is you keep, yeah. keep track of your, your paycheck and your commissions check. Yeah. Because I, I think most salespeople, most salespeople, you know, are value motivated. I want to know that I'm bringing value to my client. There's, there is a subset of people that are uh, takers, not givers, but I think most salespeople are givers yeah. and they, they want to be able to track the the value that they give the client. Yeah. That, that has its own currency, right? Is that sort of worth uh, feeling, feeling of value to your point? That's the chunk that I see missing when people aren't motivated by money. The next thing is I want to know I'm making a difference. Yep. I want to know I have an impact. Yeah. So, so how'd you get, so, um, did you plan on going in, did you come out of college and plan on being a sales rep? No, I did not. I wanted to be a playwright. So I applied to Yale in their graduate program and I got rejected hard rejection, but that letter was motivating me because I said, well, you know what? Yale isn't good enough for me. So I'm going to go sell country music radio ads in Joliet, Illinois and live in a holiday Inn on a, an ad trade. And I remember thinking at the time there was that Mel Gibson movie called what I think it was called what women want. I mean, I'm old enough to know that, but what, what is that too? Is that 99? Yeah. Something like that. 99. Good, good trivia there. Watched it and thought, you know what? I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy wearing the suit, you know, all the, all the everything, the martinis. Hopefully you weren't the guy that got electrocuted. Good thing you didn't get electrocuted by the... The only thing I remember about that movie is that he... Doesn't he drop a, a hair blow dryer in the bathroom? He does. Yeah, good. Gosh, you're good at this movie trivia thing. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to be that. I felt like that guy, though. I mean, I literally got down there and I was just miserable. I was like, is this sales? Because I hate it. You know, we had typewriters, a dark room. Half the, half the guys were out drinking whiskey for lunch. They'd come back and I was like, I'm 21. I just got done with the best four years of my life. Well, five years because I took a, a bonus year, right? And now I'm living in a Holiday Inn, sleeping back to my suitcase on the bed because there was no closet going, man, what did I do? And uh, about 30 days in, I remember I woke up the next morning and I, I was like, I called my mom the night before. I said, mom, I think I made a mistake. She's like, well, come on home. And I'm like, I'm going to come home. And I called like 10 of my friends. I was like, you know, had a couple beers. I was really, I said, I'm, I'm leaving this one horse town. I wrote a note to the guy. I was such a coward. I wrote a note, slid under his door at 530 in the morning, took off my car for South Dakota, ran for the hills. I said, it's not you, it's me. I'm out of here. Bye. You know, and uh, that was that was interesting because I came back and I said, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I got to get a job. My mom says, you can live here for two weeks. After that, I don't care if you pay me rent, you're out of here. And I was like, what? And she says, it's time for you to be an adult now. So I said, OK. So I went and slept on a friend's floor in Minneapolis. Went to about every job fair. That was the thing that job fairs and a, a newspaper were how you got jobs. Then, Like the internet wasn't really a job posting place yet, nor did you have a, a router that could handle internet speeds to show you a job. So I skated over this. How'd you get to Joliet? So did, was that, you just pulled up an ad and you said, Hey, that, it sounded like you knew what you wanted to do. So you picked a vocation and you just drive out there and take a job in Joliet or. Uh, I wish it, I wish it was that crazy. My, my professor, when I told him I got rejected to Yale, he said, yeah, I figured that'd be the case. He goes, my brother owns a radio station in Joliet. Yeah. 
and the rest of the story goes like that. It was a, it was a, you know, I, I've got somebody who knows you and, you know, uh, turns out his brother liked to drink a lot of whiskey. Um, and that's cool too. I mean, when you're coming into this, I was young eyed, wide eyed and bushy tailed. You know, I didn't, I had no idea how to do any of this. Like I would just go out and stop by a tattoo shop and say, Hey, do you guys want to advertise on the radio station? And they're like, no. And I'd say, okay, thanks. I go to the next place. Hey, do you guys want to advertise on the radio station? Never. I hate you guys. I'd be like, oh, okay, thanks. So I was just doing the motion, you know, repetitive motion. It's driving around clueless. So that was on accident, but I ended up, Brad, I took a job with, with it was voice stream at the time acquired by T-Mobile in, in uh, after like probably three months of looking for jobs. And that was, that was a really good decision. Didn't hit quota for the first three months. Didn't know what quota was, but I had a boss who, who was tenacious around activity the old cold call in Minneapolis, I'd get out and I had zip codes, right? You know, zip code reps in a city. I had this, the Southeast suburbs and I go drive around and I have to have 50 cold calls every day. And I could come back and make 50 phone calls. And I did that every day. And so the third month he put, he was getting ready to put me on a plan. And I was so upset that this guy was about ready to fire me. I'm like, man, this adult thing does not working out for me so well. I'm going to go back to college. <laughs> and go uh, study theater all over again for five years. And uh, I ended up not only hitting quota, but I hit 250% and I never again in my career hit less than 100% and um, went on to many 800% plus years at T-Mobile. So when you're going to, so talk, talk to me about, so somebody out there, they're listening to this, they're early on in their career, they're getting put on plan, um, they've got anxiety, what do you tell them? You, you will not fail if you do the activity that's prescribed to you, even if you're completely terrible at talking to people. The clock's even right twice a day. A broken clock's even right twice a day, pardon me. Um, and then listen, I mean, Brad, the things that are available today, this podcast, you go to YouTube, you can learn how to do this job if you're 70 years old and make a killing. It's not that hard to do the semantics of sales. The part I like about it, Brad, is repetition. Like you can show up every day and some people think it's insane to want to pick up the phone. I go, I, I like that when I go to work every day, I know what I need pick up the phone, open LinkedIn and, and start going, you know, like, and then, you know, you just got to prioritize and organize. So it's entirely possible. I've never seen a person been put on plan and get fired because they were trying too hard ever. <laughs> never. There's a, there's a real, so, so I, I typically equate this quote to, um, I think a couple of people have said it, but, um, I, I'm a big, um, Penske fan. And so Roger Penske says activity equals results. And I think what he means by that is like, show me somebody that's doing the work and I'll show somebody that's getting the results. I mean, very rarely, there are some cases, right? I mean, there's, there's definitely, uh, I think on the counter, you could take a story like uh, Ross Perot, where he hits his quota as an IBM sales rep right out of the gates and he made three phone calls, right? But for most people, I think you gotta, you, if you're doing the work and you're, and you're doing the activity, which I think is what you learned on the street there when you were hitting all the, the buildings and you were going in there is that you learned that the hard work and the activity pays off. And I, and I do think activity is under attack. So let me understand. You said activity is under attack, right, Brad? That's what I said. Yeah. I think yes. that I think activity and I, I think activity. Yeah. So when you say attack. that, let, let me ask what you, what, when you say that, what do you mean specifically? So like activity under attack, meaning we're getting blocked from different channels. I think that there is a tendency for people to, um, I'm trying to think about how to say that. Like, 
or how, how to maybe articulate it. So when you think about phone prospecting, I would 100% agree that calling random people is a bad idea. Yeah. And that you need to be targeted. But I think there are, uh, there's a shift or a group of people that would like to say, hey, um, you shouldn't do a lot of activity. You should pick, you know, find, you know, find one shot you know you're going to make and shoot that. Um, you don't need to take a lot of shots. Yeah. And I think in general, if you look at uh, success, um, it usually is a lot of consistent shots at the same target. I think that it's interesting because there's this whole theory right now, the, the whole war on like personalization versus relevance versus scale. Um, I think it's a lot about timing, right? So I might know, Brad, like you might be the perfect person for me to go after based off everything I know, right? Your tech, you can make a decision. You might be perfect for this thing. Doesn't mean you're respond to me, right? So it's, it's, then we go, well, we got to try multiple channels. I said, yes, but I think a lot of people, um, I would argue that, you know, the company I run today, I mean, we booked last week, 79 appointments, right? Qualified opportunities. And 68 of those were phone on cold lists, meaning we qualified the list would be a fit. We did minimal research other than knowing that they might be like that. And we did that. Now that's not all we do, but that is like the first round of what we do. Um, and actually this is the other interesting stat. We have 18 cadence steps, 50%, I think it's 51.2% I'm looking at right now. 51.2% of phone meetings we set out of all of them were set on the first phone call. Run that, run that number by me again. 51 point, it's 51.2% of every we're set on the first phone call. We're set on the first phone call, not the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. And, um, I thought my, my math was broke when I was looking at, it, but I went back and looked and I'm like, man, we make a lot of phone calls. Right. And the no show rate after that, I mean, it was actually less than industry average. We had uh, 28% of those appointments didn't show our industry average would say 40% don't show to a demo of a SaaS product. Right. So, so let me ask you this. So you're in the outbound space. There's a really big difference between inbound leads and outbound leads. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion for sales reps yeah. occurs is you, I don't think so real quick. When I think about outbound, I think about people that don't in general, and there's a lot of stuff here, but um, deal sizes are usually larger. Competition is typically less um, versus an inbound lead which is going to be uh, historically more receptive. I do think they last longer uh, historically as a lead when they come in, like they could stay longer, but the cost per uh, the, typically it's a less margin for the client. So if I'm selling an outbound lead, I'm going to have a higher margin. If I sell an inbound lead, I'm gonna have a lower margin historically because they're going to be price sensitive. Um, what do you think about those thoughts? And, and if I'm a sales guy, how should I treat an inbound lead versus an outbound lead? Well, I think inbound there's, there's inbound is, is normally price shopping, right? I'm, I'm inquiring with more than just you. So I'm probably going after three or four people. You're not the only one I found online that has a chat bot. Maybe outbound is I've created, I've created this need, right? So I didn't call you and you said, Oh my God, Steve, perfect timing. I was just looking for the solution. Typically they would say interesting timing or interesting value or interesting solution you provide to a problem I may not have. I probably won't open up to you on that first phone call, but there's enough curiosity that you said, I'll give you an example, Brad. In our business, it gets really busy at the end of the month. You want to know why? Because that's the end of the month and people just didn't hit their quotas and they go, man, we got to do something, right? 
they said in the last month they'd do something. They're still not doing what they said they do. I think we got to outsource our top of funnel work. And, and deals will reactivate, you know, new deals kind of come across and, and we sign 80% of our deals in the last two days of the month. Uh, but we've been talking to them for an average of about 21 days, right? So they'll come in front end of the month, nobody buys, and then at the end of the month they do. So inbound, if I'm going out and shopping for BDRs, I'm going to get a million calls from every person. And now they're going to light me up. But if I had to find you through a chat bot, I probably, and you weren't a referral, right? Because in, inbound... We get inbound on referral, meaning, hey, I talked to so-and-so, I'd like to talk to you more. Different inbound treatment, right? Total different inbound. Inbound, everybody needs inbound, everybody needs outbound. I, I, outbound creates inbound, right? The thing that I always say is once we're done, if we're in a six-month contract, we never see the value in terms of what the client pays us and like the riptide we've created that has people that come back to them through inbound, right? So they call it inbound. Someone came to our chat bot. Well, what if... The rep came and created the urgency outbound. They said, I'm not going to respond to that guy or gal, but I'm going to go to their website and go, oh, this looks pretty great. Let me, I'm going to inquire about more pricing. Like we wouldn't know that that was our opportunity that we created, right? So would you call that little phrase outbound creates inbound? Outbound creates inbound. Yep. Like it. Perpetual no, motion. I think that perpetual motion. No, I think that's good. I, I think the other thing, you know, not, I would never encourage anybody to do something uh, that is, um, you know, totally doesn't bear fruit, but I do think there's something about outbound. I find it really interesting when people do it. And I don't know that here's how I would describe it. I read an article one time or I read, saw a guy on, on LinkedIn and he said, Hey, I've been making phone calls for 90 days. He's a startup CEO. And uh, here's the thing. I didn't close any deals, but here's what I noticed when I did the outbound, I, I generated more revenue. And I can't necessarily tie that revenue, but every time I quit phone calling, my revenue drops. And I do think there's some correlation to activity. I, yeah. would, I would love to see somebody's uh, stats in terms of revenue growth with, uh, with spikes of outbound activity. Yeah. Um, to see if the, because I do think they're attached. I do think there's some, uh, I, I do believe that activity creates results. And uh, I think we like to think about things as being very linear. So yeah. I did this and I got this, but I don't really actually think the world works like that. The same way when you see um, those little charts on the internet, that's like, we think success looks like this and they have the little line and it's like, it actually looks like this and it's like a squiggly all over the place. Yeah. I think that same thing exists in outbound. You think outbound is like you do this and you get this and it's clean, but it's actually all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, right. They say intent matters. They always say, don't tell the universe that. Well, I'm not going to tell the universe I'm not interested in getting business. <laughs> I'm going to tell them my sign says open for business, you know. <laughs> open for business. I, I love it. So what's the one thing? So, you know, it sounds like you guys are having just an enormous amount of growth. I've tracked you on uh, Internet. I love the title. I love the name. You guys got an awesome logo. You, oh, you, thank you, man. You really came out of the uh, came out of the blue. Um, you've had a little, you know, really strong kind of early success. Uh, what's the one thing you're just super passionate about right now? I am passionate about, I'm, I'm passionate about leading people right now. And that, that may sound like, so that, that, that I'm at a table at actually, cause that's not as sexy of a topic. <laughs> I mean, that, that matters so much because in a, in a startup, especially, you know, like the vision needs to be so clear and wh why would it be like nobody, nobody getting that out of your own head and through it. Well, you know what? Screw it. That's what we're going to talk about. If that's okay, Brad, um, yep, let's do so it. you know, this like getting, 
when you when you have that idea in your head, I mean, we have a, a lot of good ideas, and, and founders choose to act on one usually. The one thing that that they know can can probably work, and I don't even know the percentage off the top of my head of you know startup businesses that never work out, right? I think it's like eighty five percent or something like that. That's really high. At year one or two, right? So you're putting yourself up against the stack card right away. I have a fifteen percent shot of succeeding. So do I believe in myself? Check mark. Got to hire new people. Great. I got to spend all that money I saved up to bootstrap, and I'm going to be okay. Talk to the wife, get her blessing. Boom. Okay. First three hurdles of cost. Now you open for business, and everybody else. Like, there's two ways to look at it. They're either going to dilute your vision to reality, which is how other people are carrying out and executing the thing that looked so good when you thought of it and talked to people, um, or can you spend enough time? with people to develop them. Because if you don't develop people and just assume that everybody's going to get the hint, then you're like, oh, well, no, I just thought everybody all day made perfect cold calls here. We never had to coach anything alternatively. We're the best. We pay 30% above market. They should just get it. Well, they're human beings. They have lives outside of this. They have good days, bad days. And, and this was really born out of something that worked for me as taught to me by other people. So now it is my mission to, I don't want to be a CEO who's just the figurehead. Even now, or later, I mean, as you know, as a startup, man, this is a, say, this is, it's a busy day, right? But if, unless I carve out intentionally at least two hours twice a week to spend with my team, I mean, that's part of the reason we just moved into a new office. I mean, everybody else is talking about remote work. We do that, but I'm in Sioux Falls. We've got five other people here. We're going to hire four or five more. Like if 10 people in the company can be here, we can work together to teach them how to overcome objections, to teach them calling between the hours of 138 and 249 have a 4x better chance of getting a hold of somebody when than not even though it should be obvious to most people that's not the first thing they think of when they work up when they wake up and so how do i get this team and their management team to start to think very very basic at the beginning like if we if we can check box these three things okay great um, and then now if those three things are all in place and still not working we can move on to objections and then we can move on to call rebut like go down the list but leading by example is one thing. Leading by showing them how to do it and, and thoroughly training them is something that I have to recommit myself to daily because when I go a week without doing it, you can see it start to fade, like crumble apart a little bit. Oh, yeah. So are you getting on the phone? You know, CEO, you're starting to add people. Or you're, so you're saying you're still getting on the phone. You're still showing people how to make the phone calls. Yeah. You're still sharpening the knife. Yeah, I, I, I actually was actively prospecting with them two days a week for the first month and a half, but that just got to be too much. Just... And, and that's what we train them to do. But I still a couple hours a week, twice a week. So I'll, I'll get on with them two hours, two times a week and go live on the phones. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's easy. Uh, so play hockey, kids a goalie. I was a goalie. It's hard to teach goaltending. I heard somebody say one time, if you teach goaltending without equipment on, you're just yelling at the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably learned like it from watching you, right? That's that's super true. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're uh, if you're put, if you're not putting the equipment on and showing them, you're just yelling at the kids. So I think that's great uh, that you're out there making making the calls. Yeah, man. I don't know how so, else it would be done. Yeah. The um, so um, all right. Well, I I think that's you know. Is there anything anything I, that you wanted me to ask you that I didn't ask? No, I mean I thought it was good. I, I think if I could share one piece of unsolicited advice, and this isn't. It's just, man, if you're if you're a founder out there or if you're somebody who wants to look at business or you're looking at your founder going, man, that guy or gal's nuts, they don't get it. Like, don't be afraid to speak up because they surely don't get it if you don't talk to them about it. Like, um, 
don't live in your head. It's a dangerous place to be, right? I'm running out of, I'm running out of these things to say, but that's the one thing that resonates the most. I was having a conversation with one of our people today and they're like, yeah, I thought you just knew that, or you would have known that. And I didn't want to bother you with something. I said, I would never know that. I'm so glad you brought it to my attention and you brought a solution with the problem too. So it's like, keep vocalizing and giving feedback because man, your business depends on it. Even if it's a big company or big enterprise company, um, you can have amazing managers in a fortune 100 company, just like you can in a, a nimble startup, right? It's not a one size fits all business. So, uh, keep talking, keep vocalizing. Otherwise nobody gets better. Um, one more question for you. So you've been a big company guy. What's the biggest, uh, thing that you've had to get comfortable with besides maybe pay, uh, coming from a big, coming from T-Mobile to start your own business? Yeah. Great question. Um, resources, scalability, right? At the end of the day, I'm the janitor, um, you know, I'm the IT guy <laughs> for now um, and a lot of the problems. And so I think owning all those problems and now starting to delegate some of those out, right? It's nice, but every time you delegate, you lose control, which is the point. Um, but that's been the biggest thing is just, I mean, SaaS changed everything, right? Because I don't need all the big enterprise deployments. You can kind of spin up whatever you want on a dime, but it's the resources that are there to support you. You have to squeeze more out of less. You have to. If you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time. Until next time.